Hey, Chloe. Hey, Ralph. How are you going? Yeah, pretty awesome today. Pretty awesome. Can't complain. Happy as Larry. Looking forward to our chat. Yay, me too. I'm looking forward to Christmas as well. It's just around the corner and we're moving moving states next week, so it's all it's all happening. Mm, do you have to stay in quarantine? No. Huh. No. You, I can come and visit you straight away That's if you awesome. like. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Te- text me when you're at Aubrey. <laughs> awesome. Um, and again, big shout out to you know all our awesome listeners. It really, um, it really makes me feel really chuffed uh, when you guys send through your feedback or screenshot that you've been listening and you know share it on social media. So thank you. That I don't think that thrill will ever diminish for me. Yeah, but if you really want to show you love us. Give us Leave, a five star. Yeah, give us a five star review on iTunes podcast app, and that'll uh, that'll really make our days. Boy, we'll might, be... might help me feel better about that one one star one we got. I was like, oh, what happened there? <laughs> I think there was a little bit of cognitive dissonance with that one. This is this is very true. So yeah, if you if you if you're listening and loving, if you could. You know, shoot us a leave us a five star. That would be it's literally amazing. just if you're listening on your phone right now, just literally in the podcast app, just literally open up this episode and tap five stars and you're done. Bam, that's it. Bam. It's like two seconds. Yeah. Go on, do and it. Do it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> we really do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, what, what are we going to talk about today? Isn't it ex- exciting each week to, you know, to another? Yeah. It is, it is. It's the lucky dip. So um, today we're going to talk about scoliosis. Uh oh. Uh oh. Scoliosis. And so, how do we broach that? Like, what would we say is the elephant in the room with scoli, Raph? Um, well, I would say that in my observation, uh, Pilates instructors, as a you know general rule, are freaking obsessed with scoliosis and uh, feel like it's a major. And, and I think they're obsessed with it. You know what? What I mean by that is, I think most Pilates instructors I've ever met uh, seem to me to be really sort of anxious around working with people with scoliosis and feel like there's some kind of arcane knowledge that they're lacking that if they do something wrong with a person with scoliosis, that person's going to suffer serious consequences and there could be a major problem. Um, and, that, you know, many people are, are, are wonder about, you know, what's the best form of exercise for scoliosis? Should I, you know, stretch the tight side and strengthen the short side or long side or what, you know, like should we do three-dimensional breathing? So I think, I don't know if there's an elephant, but I think there's a, a hell of a lot of confusion anxiety, uh, worry about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I think where the elephant lies for me is that I have lost count of the number of Pilates-specific short courses, programs, et cetera, et cetera, that I've seen out there that, that zoom in particularly on scoliosis, like it's this, you know, 
yeah, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, th- I think like they I really think, make yeah. it into a way bigger thing. I, th- or I, I think what a pathologize. Okay, yeah. maybe that the, 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 that's that's the word I'm looking for. That the pathologize it. Yeah, I think there. I think there are two elephants. The first elephant is that uh, we're pathologizing scoliosis, so we're making it into a medical condition. Um, mm-hmm. And the second one is that you know there's there's some kind of specific recipe to mm. you know quote fix or you know mm. mitigate or whatever scoliosis mm. that you know what's the specific exercise that you know that that you know the the magic sort of formula that there is such a thing you know so those are the two mm. elephants I reckon. Mm. We we love. Um We'd love to have, and by we I mean like the proverbial we, you know, there to be this this special magic specific exercise that fixes all these things, yeah? Fixes, the, you get that one for the low back pain and yeah. you get that one for the knee pain and you get that one for the, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I, I think, um, you know, just more broadly speaking, I think that's a, a pretty big elephant in pretty much all of exercise. Like I think even yeah. amongst exercise physiologists and physiotherapists it's widely held erroneously held belief, people see exercise like a toolkit, like, you know, you've got a spanner that's for undoing nuts and you've got a screwdriver that's for undoing screws and you've, you know, got a hammer that's for hammering in nails. And so, you know, you have a different tool for a different job. And so it's it's the same in exercise because people use that toolbox metaphor, I think, a lot in their own minds about exercise. I think, okay, I've got this one specific sort of exercise for back pain and a different specific sort for Mm -hmm. someone with scoliosis and different specific sort for someone with osteoporosis. And you know, uh-huh. but in reality, exercise doesn't really work like that. It's kind of much. It's more more like kind of uh, diet or sleep. You know, like you know, what's the mm. best diet for you know someone with back pain? Well, it turns out the di- best diet for someone with back pain is exactly the same as the best diet for someone without back pain. You know, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the best diet for somebody who's uh, I don't know, you know, in their seventies? You know, well. It's, it turns out to be exactly the same diet as someone who's not in their seventies. You know, yeah. it's like there, there is, there seems to be some kind of, you know, have have lots of veggies and fruits and fiber and some protein and some good fats and whatever, and bam, there's your there's your optimal diet for whatever condition. And so it's really more the case that yeah, everything kind of is a nail, and it's more of a hammer situation <laughs> with yeah, exercise. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, kind of which kind of exercise you do doesn't seem to really make much difference, you know, mm. uh, in most cases. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, yeah. back to scoliosis, eh? Okay, back to scoliosis. So, uh, you know, my I was thinking about this last night, and my first time, recollection of scoliosis and uh, that there was this thing called scoliosis was actually for me in high school. So I am just about turned 43. So high school for me was kind of 1990 to 95. And I do believe, and I've talked to younger, the younger gen since me, and I don't think this is happening in schools anymore. But when I was in my early um, high school years, I distinctly remember us all having to go into the gym because it was in the gym at school where we'd get things like vaccinations or this or that. They kind of hurt us in there. And we all had to line up and we had to go past what I assume was a nurse. I can't, it was a long time ago now, but someone basically, and we had to stand in front of them and we had to do a forward fold, right? And they were checking us 
for scoliosis. And you'd either get tarred with the scoliosis brush or it'd be like, no, you're fine. And I distinctly remember that day. It was really interesting. So I remember thinking, oh, wow. So what, what, what's this thing that they're talking about? What's this scoliosis? And it was, it was quite full on to all have to line up in the gym together <laughs> to get visually assessed by someone. Um, as a young teenager, did you have anything like that, Ralph? No, I just got the routine tuberculosis infection, uh, like vaccination or whatever, you know. You didn't get the no. scully check at, at no. high school? Well, maybe I did, yeah. but I just don't remember it. Yeah, and anyway, I just remember going, okay. So kind of, I guess what I'm saying is, too, when we think about elephants and we think about, you know, things and we think about pathologizing, there's usually, it's usually come from somewhere, hasn't it? Like there's some, do you know what I mean? Like for me, that was quite dis, a, a distinctive time. And I was like, wow, this is, this is must be a big deal. You know, we're being, this must be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what I want to talk about, you know, we, when we talk about scoliosis is um, what I found really interesting was the percentage um, that is what we call idiopathic adolescent mm-hmm. scoliosis. And I wondered, Raph, if you could share with our listeners what that percentage is and actually what that means. Like what does idiopathic mean? Yeah, so, um, well, you know, just to kind of back up a step for anyone who's from Mars and doesn't know yet, uh, scoliosis is uh, oh, yeah, sorry. defined as a, as, a quote, excessive spinal curvature. Um, and so usually we think about it as like a sideways curvature of the spine. It can be like a C shape, so it's just curved one way. It can be an S shape, it's kind of curved and then curves back again. But it can also be a front to back curvature. So you can have a scoliosis in any or all directions um and you know some people define it as greater than 10 degrees um you know sideways curvature um but you know other places just say quote excessive whatever that means so uh and and uh the vast majority of scoliosis i don't know i don't have the number right in front of me but it is like over 90 percent of scoliosis is what's called adolescent idiopathic scoliosis and adolescent just means it onsets first appears in adolescence you know so between the ages of kind of 12 and not you know 19 18 whatever um and then idiopathic means we don't know what causes it so it comes on during adolescence for reasons unknown you know and that's the vast majority you know nine out of ten people with scoliosis that's their situation mm-hmm. yeah okay and and then the other percentage is something uh, might that be related, happens. Yeah, might be related to um, like uh, osteoporotic fractures or Sherman's disease or you know other kind of known you know conditions that cause a spinal curvature as kind of a secondary symptom. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So. What do we need to know? So well, if you, so if, you know, what, what, if an adolescent mm-hmm. has scoliosis, so you, we know that there, you know, there are um, curvatures that that do go go down the route of surgery uh-huh. in adolescence. I've I've met many a many a client uh, that has a, a rod in their back um, from from surgery during adolescence, and um, that just simply means that they don't, you know the same as someone who doesn't have a rod in their back. Um, Well, I think the, you know, the, I think the, I think the main problem that I'd like to talk about today is kind of 
addresses or, or is related to both of those elephants, you know, what we said, pathologizing it and also assuming that there's some form of specific exercise that someone knows that is going to be best, you know, for scoliosis. And I think, uh, you know, both of those things suffer from the assumption or from several assumptions in one case, the assumption, you know, num- number of one, number one, the assumption that scoliosis causes pain. Like, well, do we even know that? And if so, how do we know it? Um, and and if scoliosis does cause pain, you know, so do people with scoliosis have more pain than people without scoliosis? And do people with a more severe scoliosis have more pain than people with a less severe scoliosis? And you might think, well, like, do. Of course they do. But it's like, well, do they? You know, like, and what's the source of your information? Um, and then second question or second assumption, like, well, if we change, so just say, you know, and I'm not saying it is true, but... If it were true that people with scoliosis had more pain than people without scoliosis, well, if we could change the scoliosis somehow, like if we could give them surgery or if we could just give them some exercises to straighten them up or whatever, and we could change the scoliosis, if we could change the condition, would that change their pain? Right? So there are, there are some conditions where people who have the condition have more pain than people who don't have the condition. But if you change the condition, it doesn't change the pain because the condition's not causing the pain. It's like the the condition and the pain are both caused by something else. So, for example, hypermobility, people with hypermobility do have more pain than people without hypermobility, but it's not because of a biomechanical issue. It's because of a generalized central nervous system issue. So if you, you know, stable, quote, stabilize their joints, that's not going to do anything for their pain because it's not caused by unstable joints. It's caused by central nervous system sensitization, right, which is also the thing that causes them to be hypermobile. So, you know, so in the case of scoliosis, well, if we change the scoliosis, does that change the pain? Um, And then, well, the next question is like, well, can we change scoliosis? You know, so we're asking like, what's the best form of exercise for scoliosis to, to fix scoliosis? Well, well, can you? change scoliosis with exercise um and only then only if we can answer yes to all of those questions so does scoliosis cause a problem you know if we change the scoliosis do we change the symptoms and indeed can we change scoliosis like only if we can answer yes to all of those then we get to ask what's the best form of exercise to change scoliosis right but if we go straight from my client has scoliosis to what's the best form of exercise and I think therein lies the problem. Absolutely. So let's um, let's unpack that. So in regards to if we're asking, does scoliosis equal heightened pain? There, there would be studies on that, correct? Uh, surprisingly few. Um, right. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's it's, really interesting. Yeah, the literature in this area is really is quite surprising, actually. Like, there's a heap of studies on exercise interventions in adolescence. Um, so, you know, basically, uh, you know, if you have someone who's adolescent and they've got scoliosis, if you give them exercises or stretches or bracing or whatever, can that reduce or reverse the scoliosis? Um, there's quite a bit of literature on that. There's very little literature on that in adults. You know, can exercise in adults change or reduce you know stop the progression of scoliosis and there's literally i could only find three studies that looked at does scoliosis correlate with pain like so do people with scoliosis have more more pain than people without and is do people with more severe scoliosis have more severe pain than people with less severe scoliosis so i found three studies uh and uh 
they have, I would say, well, anyway, let's 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 have a look at them. So wow, first, I'm just so fascinated that there's such a lack of study yeah. on something that's so, you know, and and again, <laughs> it's blowing my mind. Blowing my mind. Okay, continue. Sorry, well, this I'm is, just mind blown. <laughs> well, here's that you know that's basically the logical fallacy or sloppy thinking that's gone into this sort of field of research. Is like we're yeah. jumping, we're jumping into what's the best best exercise to fix it yeah. before we even know. Like, well, is it a freaking problem? You know? Yeah, I'm just like. <laughs> I'm the I'm the head blown emoji. Probably quite a few of you listening right now are feeling the same as me at this moment. <laughs> um, all right. So the most recent study I found was a review. It's not a systematic review, but it's a you know it's it's narrative review. Um, it's from 2016. It's from I think a French research group, and it's called Adolescent Idiot. Pathic scoliosis and back pain. So this is um, in adolescence. Um, so what they found, this broad narrative review addresses the relationship between adolescent idiopathic scoliosis and back pain. Adi- ad- adolescent idiopathic scoliosis can be responsible for low back pain, particularly major cases. However, a linear relationship between back pain and the magnitude of the deformity cannot be expected for any individual patient. A large number of juvenile patients can remain pain-free. The long-term prognosis is rather benign for many cases, and thus a tailored approach to the individual patient seems mandatory. The level of evidence available does not allow stringent recommendations for any of the disorders included in this review. So in other words, the, the evidence is pretty poor. And that's what I found as well, because I also did my own review, and that's what I found. So that was from 2016. The other two papers I found were a fair bit older. Um... And the first one was from uh, 1989, and that was called Idiopathic Scoliosis. So remember that first paper I, I just uh, read out the, the, the conclusions from was just looking at adolescents. So this is you know, people in their teens, basically. And so for most of us, we're working more with adults. So their scoliosis onset in their teens, but that was decades ago now. So this second paper I'm about to read, uh, look, you know, talk you through is uh, from 1989. It looked at uh, adults. So they looked at 219 uh, adults with untreated adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Um, and what they found was uh, the back, uh, the mortality rate was 15%. Backache was somewhat more common in these patients. Um, uh than in the general population, although it was never disabling. The backache was unrelated to the presence of osteoarthritic changes or uh, on x-rays. Many curves continued to progress slightly in adult life, particularly thoracic curves that had reached between 50 and 80 degrees. The lumbar components of combined curves between 50 and 74 degrees also tended to progress. Um, so what that they basically found was that there is a slight, uh, slightly increased incidence of back pain in people with scoliosis, but that the there is no correlation between the severity of the scoliosis and the severity of the back pain. Um, you know, so I'm going to read to you from the study now. Um, most commonly, a patient would have a mild backache at the end of a strenuous day or after unusual activity, relieved promptly by rest. Um, 
The difference between the scoliotic and the control groups was not considered important. 12% more of the scoliotics had frequent or daily pain, but 6% fewer saw a doctor for the pain and only 6% were hospitalized for it compared with 16% in the non-scoliotic group. So it's, oh, what? it's a really, really small difference, right? And in, you could read that as in some ways it's actually better for the scoliotic just, people. Yeah, so, okay, so let's just pause for a moment. So what I heard there was that the control group, ACA, the group that didn't have scoliosis had a higher incidence of hospitalization yeah. for their back pain. Yeah, yeah. 16% um, compared to 6%? Yeah. Um, and oh. another quote, the severity of the curve, whatever the type, could not be correlated with back symptoms. Um, wow. Yeah, and so there are some really beautiful stories. Actually, this study, I, got, I misread the, the date. It's actually from 1969. It's not from Oh, wow, 19, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so these were, so this is quite an old study, but you know, but a good one. Um, yeah. And so there are some real beautiful stories in here. Uh, maybe I'll share one of one or two of them uh, with you. I think. Um, I love it. this. is really interesting. Really interesting. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so then there was this. Uh, sorry, that one, I'm, I apologise. No, I didn't misread it. It was 1989. Now, this okay. third, this study I'm about to read you is from 1969, and it's called Long-Term Follow-Up of Patients with Idiopathic Scoliosis Not Treated Surgically. Uh, it's from the right. Journal of Bone and Joint, Bone and Joint Surgery. Um, and their conclusions were, quote, we found no statistical correlation between the severity of back symptoms and the type or severity of the spinal curvature. And they had 215 patients um, in their uh, sample and they followed them up for 30 years. Wow. Um, um, uh, is this know, the one that has the stories? Yeah, this is the one with the stories. Okay. All right. Uh, let me let me find one story. Um, Do you want me to sing a little, like a little interlude <laughs> song or something? Um, so. Oh, there was this one. I should have prepared these earlier. Um, <laughs> we, as we said, guys, we really like fly by the seat of our pants with these, with these, uh, with these discussions. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah. So there was this one man who had a twenty-year-old man with a combined thirty-six-degree left thoracic and twenty-eight-degree right lumbar curve. So that's a pretty significant scoliosis. You know, like most- are we talking about like kind of like? Um, an S, like to, like yeah, to the start, yeah. It's an yep. S, and you, this would be plainly visible in just erect standing, right? You wouldn't need this person to kind of bend forward to see that they've right. got a scoliosis. So we're so talking we, about we're talking about Usain Bolt when you see a picture of him from behind, no, that kind of? No, probably double or triple that. Right, okay. Um, uh, and the patient wrestled in the 1948 Olympics and presently is a university wrestling coach. Yeah, I love that one. Um, uh, then, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we are going to talk Lamar, Lamar Gant and the Usain Bolt a little later. <laughs> um, here's uh, a patient. Oh, there's another one here. There's a 27-year-old woman with a 65-degree curve. Um, and at 46 years of age, the curve had increased to 95 degrees. That's more than a right angle. The patient had frequent 
mild back pain relieved by lying down for 15 to 20 minutes in the middle of the day. Um, yeah, there, there are a few other really beautiful stories in there, but they're kind of buried so deep I won't find them. Um, and then finally there was this uh, study that looked at uh, – uh, sorry, this um, study that looked at uh, – scoliosis and back pain, uh, the review actually found that th there was a very, there's a very small uh, increased likelihood of back pain in people which who have a kind of more severe scoliosis, so basically where they're really hunched forward or really kind of bent sideways off the center line. Um, but actually the magnitude of the increase in pain is so small that it's below what's called the mini cl minimum clinically important difference. So in other words, like if, you know, if you had like a, say a six out of 10 low back pain, and then we did some kind of intervention, you know, like some special exercise thing or whatever for six weeks. And then at the end of the six weeks, your back pain had gone from six out of 10 to like 5.5 out of 10. Um, actually, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right. For most people, they can only detect a change of one and a half points or more on a one to 10 scale. Right. So if it went from six to five and a half or six to five, even they, they wouldn't be able to, you know, it's like they wouldn't be able to, wouldn't, that wouldn't register. It's below the sort of error of measurement, basically. Yeah. Um, and so what they found in this study was that the, there, there was a statistically significant um, uh, increased chance of back pain with people who had a severe scoliosis, but that the actual magnitude of the pain was below the minimum clinically important difference. So in other words, the, the, the amount of extra pain people had when they had this severe scoliosis was actually so small that if you took the scoliosis away and the pain went back to baseline, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right. Yeah. So um, uh, there was a Cochrane review um, comparing um, – conservative and surgical management um, of scoliosis uh, in 2015. Okay, um, and is this still adolescent? Because that to me seems to be when the majority of uh, surgical interventions seems to occur. No, this, this was surgical interventions, that, but they were following up with people um, like, you know, years later. Right, but um, surgical interventions that happened in during adolescence, adolescence? yeah. Uh -huh. And what they concluded was there's insufficient quality or quantity of evidence to draw any firm conclusions. <laughs> so, um, they, they so, did not find it, quote, we did not find any papers that would allow drawing conclusions regarding back pain. So, in other words, it hasn't been studied, really. So, wait a second. So, so <laughs> let's just, just give me a moment here, Ralph. So people, and I'm talking adolescents, so like teenagers, yes. okay, teenagers, very formative years of their lives, you know, it's a lot, we've all been teenagers. You've got a teenager, right, yeah, Raph? Sure. Like we, teen, being a teenager is a big old time, yeah? And we're talking about teenagers who are going through major back surgery, major back spinal surgery, right? They're getting a rod put in their back. Uh-huh. What you're telling me with this, this, what these studies are saying is that either, A, there's not enough good evidence, so like 
people are whacking rods in people's back, but there hasn't been a lot of studies done on whether that's <laughs> helpful or not. And or is, is that study saying that they can't conclude whether it actually helps with pain, having a rod in your back? Yeah, well, I would say that, um, you know, taking the broad literature um, into account, you know, what we know about the relationship between scoliosis and back pain is that, uh, you know, some the, the middle literature is mixed. Some studies, there's been very, very few studies done in this area, so we've got very limited evidence. Um, and a couple of the studies found no relationship between scoliosis and back pain. Uh, and a couple of the equal number found a relationship between scoliosis and back pain, but a very small relationship and a very small magnitude of effect size. So very, you know, it's a it's a it's a weak correlation. And the you know the amount of extra pain that people with scoliosis had in those studies was very very small, below the minimum clinically important difference. So I would say overall, you know, in answer to the question of does scoliosis cause back pain? The answer is, well, we don't really know, but it doesn't really look like it. Wow. And so in regards to – I'm just so fascinated by the fact rods get put in teenagers' backs and that there's not a lot of, you know, research around that. To me, I, I find that really like, whoa. Um, so could potentially some of this be also aesthetic, as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. And we also know that people with scoliosis generally um, have reduced pulmonary function. So in other words, you know, can take in less air, you know, like if you if you maximally fill your lungs, okay. you know, there's less, if you've got, you know, just think about it, if your thoracic spine is all kind of curved, well, you, you can't expand your chest as much. Yeah. So you can't you take mm. as much air in. But the thing is like most people never need anywhere near their full you know, oxygen capacity, uh, you know, unless you're going to be like an elite marathon runner or triathlete well, or something. You, Usain Bolt, literally the fastest runner in the world and, you know, has that – famously has a has a scoliosis. Right. You know, but, but anyone he's, could – But he's a sprint athlete, so oxygen, the oxygen consumption is not really a thing for him. He uses the ATP, PC, energy system, phosphocreatine. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> There you go. Okay. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so is right. scoliosis associated with back pain? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but probably not. And in truth, the answer is a big question mark, really. We don't, you know, the, the most honest answer is we don't really know at this stage. Is scoliosis associated with back pain? Um, but, you know, it seems to be the case that, you know, if it is, it's not a very strong correlation because four studies, you know, have failed to detect a significant relationship. Yeah, and is there some – I do recall uh, seeing some research on exercise interventions in adolescence in regards to, you know, potentially there's something to be said for, you know, and stop me if I'm remembering this incorrectly, Raph, but something to be said for, you know, stretching out the tighter side and strengthening the other side. Yeah, um, your name. All right. Well, I've got in front of me a review article from the European Journal of uh, Spine Journal from 2012. Mm -hmm. It's called Efficacy of Exercise Therapy 
for the Treatment of Adolescent Idiopathic Scoliosis, a review of the literature. Uh, and their conclusions, uh, this unbiased literature review has revealed poor quality evidence supporting the use of exercise therapy in the treatment of ad adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Well-designed randomized controlled trials are required to assess the role of exercise therapy in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Um, and you know, basically they kind of said that basically all studies that they reviewed endorsed exercise, but they all had significant methodological flaws. Um, they So they had like basically, you know, poor clarity on who they recruited, um, poor clarity on the method of assessment of the curve magnitude, um, poor records of compliance, lack of outcome scores. Many studies reported, quote, significant changes in the Cobb angle, which is the, the angle of the scoliosis after treatment, but which were actually of such small magnitude that they didn't take into account the reported uh, error, like the minimum error, right, uh, method wow. of the method. So all studies had poor statistical analysis and did not report whether the small improvements noted were maintained in the long term. So in other words, it's freaking crap literature. Right. Right. So it's 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 poor quality and, you know, if we were going to draw conclusions from it, we'd be cherry picking. We'd be super cherry picking. Now I'm going to cherry pick one here. Um, can you guys, can you, Raf, can you just explain to, because I think this, the, you know, and and we will do. I think we should do a whole episode on um, how to review literature, etc. But can you just describe? Because I see cherry picking go on all the time mm -hmm. in the in the the movement and health space. Could you just tell our listeners what cherry picking means? In case they um, don't know. Well, it's yeah. It's basically you know go back to our our episode on uh, cognitive biases. Your brain is a liar, um, and basically you know your and mine as well. Um, any of our personal experience is a terrible guide as to how the world actually works. So if you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you have a client who comes in, they've got uh, scoliosis, and you give them a special exercise method, you know, you stretch the tight side, strengthen the long side, whatever it is, um, and then you know you do that for a while, and at and at the end of the session, they're like, oh, I feel so much better. That's awesome. Fantastic. Or maybe you do it for six months. And at the end of six months, they're like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm feeling so much better. I'm, you know, I'm pain-free. I'm stronger. I'm blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, oh, this is pretty awesome. This has really worked. Um, or maybe even more, maybe you've had like, you know, 20 clients, you know, who've told you that. Like, oh, your special, you know, stretching the tight side and strengthening the weak side has really helped me. It's been amazing. It's like changed my life. And you've got testimonials on your website and all of that. Um the, the reality is they're probably wrong and you're also probably wrong about what helped them because the the reality is um, people's, you know, people with back pain, including people with scoliosis with back pain, it tends to be cyclical. You know, you have good days and bad days. Uh, and that's, you know, in those couple of stories I read out to you in the studies, it, you know, kind of said that as well. You know, it was kind of episodic back pain. Uh, and so, you know, you have good days and bad days. And so you go in to see your Pilates practitioner on a bad day, you're going, oh, it's so terrible. I can't believe it's terrible. And then, you know, you do some stuff and guess what? Days go mm -hmm. by and then lo and behold, it's a good day. And you're like, oh, that Pilates must have fixed me. <laughs> but actually it was just the natural, it's called regression to the mean, you know, like if on the worst, when you're on a bad day, it tends to get better. And when you're on a good day, it tends to get worse. So that's that. Um, the other thing is, uh, well, you know, pain is very, very subjective and multifactorial, and it could be the case that they got better because they expected to get better, and because you provided some other elements within your your interaction with them that were unrelated to the specific stretches and things that you did. You know, maybe you just comforted them and gave them 
you know, in, like enhance their self-efficacy by giving them some active things to do. Um, and maybe just the endorphins of exercising made them feel good. And, and you know, maybe you listened to their problems and, and you know, showed that you cared about them. And, you know, they finally had a health practitioner that they trusted. You know, all of those things are going to contribute to their, uh, you know, decreasing their symptoms. Uh, and then there's survivor bias. So, you know, maybe the 20 people who came back and told you how awesome their results were, yeah, great. Maybe for them, they all feel better. But what about the 50 people who didn't come back? and didn't tell you how awesome their results were because they're the ones who didn't get awesome results. So we tend to only hear hear back from the people who come back, right? So the people who come back, who's going to come back? Well, people who think it's working. So people who don't think it's working don't continue, so they don't come back and tell us it's working. So the only people who tell us whether it's working or not are the people who think it's working. So we think everyone thinks it's working. I, I think what I mean too, Raph, is is so that as a logical fallacy, but in regards to cherry-picking Evidence. So you know, like I'm, I'm talking about. For instance, this I see this quite a lot, where um, a Pilates instructor potentially has gone and looked up a. You know, there's you, you can go on to you know Google Scholar, and you can find some super duper biased research yeah. that's been done by Pilates on yeah. Pilates. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like I've got something um, in front of me. So to me, that's. That's cherry picking. It's like we're not actually looking at the the quality of the research. We're going, oh look, that's it. That's done. You know, that's been ordered by you know a Pilates organization, and it says that Pilates is good for X, Y, Z, and that and that totally totally confirms my bias that you know due to that logical fallacy that you were just talking about where I have seen these results in my studio. Look at this. Now I can back that up with, and I'm doing air quotes here, evidence. Like I can cherry pick that evidence out of Google Scholar regardless of whether it was a biased, there was bias in the research, whether it was actually a good quality research. yeah, I reckon that's right. So, well, uh, well, anyway. you know, so the so so everybody's Going down a rabbit hole. No, no, I think this is really important. Um, so everybody's, you know, including yours and mine, Chloe, everybody's own personal experience of the world is a terrible, you know, way of of judging reality. We're all biased, and we all, you know, naturally look for confirmation of what we already believe. And and so the, the the way we get around this is we have this thing called the scientific method. So in the scientific method, if we're trying to figure out, okay, does you know this particular exercise help scoliosis, um, you know, people, then we we you know we recruit a certain number of people who have scoliosis, and then we randomly allocate them into two groups, and one group gets the exercise, another group gets um, some other thing, um, either nothing or you know just general exercise or something. Um, and then we follow them for, you know, six weeks or six months or whatever. And then at the end we see, okay, there's 20 people in each group or whatever number. And we go, okay, you know, how many got better in the group that got the special exercise and how many got better in the group that got the other thing, right? And if there's 20 in each group and we follow all of them up and it happens to be the case that in the special exercise group, you know, all of them get better and in the other group, like only one of them gets better. Well, that's very unlikely to be just a random fluctuation, Right, that's that's very unlikely that that is just like those twenty people all just happen to get better, or, you know, at the same time, and none of the other ones happen to get better. 
So that 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 is called a randomized controlled trial, and that gives us a much more confidence that that the result that we're seeing is not actually just you know regression to the mean or survivor bias or confirmation mm-hmm. bias or, or whatever. Um, but the thing is, like. Most studies don't give you a result of like everyone in one group got better and no one in the other group got better. What you're much more likely to get is like 12 people in one group got better and nine people in the other group got better, right? And so then the question is like, well, is that due to chance, you know, or is it not due to chance? And, you know, so that's why they do some fancy statistics and try and figure it out. But the thing is what they what they aim for is when they say it's a significant result is they aim for usually a confidence level of 90, not confidence interval of 95%. So they basically say they do their statistics to the point where they're 95% sure that the result was not due to random chance, right? So it could just be that if, you know, on the day that they measured the results, just by random chance, because everyone has good days and bad days, it just happened to be the case that 12 people in the scoliosis exercise group just happened to be feeling better that day. And so, hey, great. It looks like that exercise worked. But in fact, it was just random <laughs> chance, right? And if we yeah. repeated the exact same experiment, we wouldn't get the same result, right? Mm. So what they set is a 95% confidence interval, right? So nine, 95 times out of 100, 19 times out of 20, the, the results are reliable. But one time out of 20, by definition, it's, it's incorrect, um, and so what happens is if you just read one study, right, well, it might be incorrect, right? And what we find is also there are many other ways that studies can be incorrect because there might be, you know, there might be poor methodology. They might not blind the assessors properly or the patients properly or, the, you know, there, there might not be good randomization or good control or there, there's lots of reasons why a study might not, but might be compromised. You know, that statistical power is only one of them. So if we look at a single study, it doesn't really tell us a lot, right? Unless it's a massive study with like, you know, multiple thousands of people in it. You know, if it's a small study with 20 or 30 or 40 people in it and it's only one study, it's really just like, okay, that's interesting, but it doesn't really tell us a lot. Whereas if you look at a systematic review that has reviewed, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 studies, right? And they see a pattern. Okay. We reviewed 40 studies and 37 of them found a positive result for this intervention. Yeah. Yeah, That tends to, you know, that tends to be a much more reliable way, a reliable basis. You know, you can, you can really assume then with a high level of confidence that, yeah, this treatment probably works. Right. Um, And, but what we see with all of the systematic reviews in scoliosis is their conclusion is not hey, this treatment works, the conclusion is the studies are all crap and we need to do some decent research. But it's interesting that is anyone out there chomping at the bit to do the decent research on it? Well, there are lots of people chomping at the bit to do research and I'm going to show you an example of the crap research that's being done in this area. (laughs) So here's – now, this is not to pick on this particular, you know (laughs) – method or group because it's just one example and there are many other ones but I you know don't want to read them all out. This yeah. one's from uh, 2016. It's Kuru et al. It's called The Efficacy of the Three-Dimensional Shroth Exercises in Adol- Adolescent Idiopathic Scoliosis, a Randomized Controlled Clinical Trial. Now, that sounds pretty good. It's from the Journal Clinical Rehabilitation. Um, uh, so, that sounds all very, you know, mm-hmm. good. Um Results, the Cobb and rotation angles significantly decreased, with ind- which indicated an improvement in the clinic exercise group compared to the other groups. 
Um, Conclusion, according to the results of this study, the Schroth exercise program applied in the clinic under physiotherapist supervision was superior to the home exercise and control groups. Additionally, we observed that scoliosis progressed in the control group, which received no treatment. So that sounds like a resounding win for the Schroth method. Um, but when you actually- Are we going to say, what's the Schroth? Can I just get a little- Well, I don't know you got exactly. me intrigued now. What's the Schroth? I don't know exactly what it is, and let me tell okay. you, it's not it's worth- It's a certain no- sort of it's, exercise. It's not, okay. it's not something worth knowing about because there's okay. no evidence that it does anything. Okay. So, But it's some kind of three-dimensional, you know, breathing, lengthening, elongation, right. okay. whatever. Okay. Um, um, so what they did was they had 51 patients with adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. They randomized them into three groups- Right, so the three groups were Schroth's 3D exercises in the clinic with a physiotherapist. The second group got Schroth's 3D exercises at home. The third group got nothing. Right, and guess what they found? The Schroth's 3D exercises in the clinic were better than the other two things. Well, fucking duh, because in the clinic, guess what you had. You know, like this is basic. This is like backwards research design. I mean, in when when you when you create a control group, right? So, like, let, let's just back up a sec and go. Okay, if this was a proper clinical trial, right? Just say we were we we're testing a new drug for cancer or something like that, right? Or blood yeah. pressure or whatever. What you do is you 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 create the drug, right? It's a little capsule with the blue and red little granules in it, right? And then you create an exact duplicate of that capsule, right? It's physically, you know, visually identical in every way, but it doesn't have the drug in it. It's just got corn flour, right? So it doesn't have the drug, but the patient thinks it's getting the, they're getting the drug, right? And the doctor who's giving the pills to the patient thinks the patients are getting the drug. So everybody thinks they're getting the drug, right? And it looks the same. It tastes the same. Everything's exactly the same. The only difference was one had the actual drug in it and one didn't have the drug in it, right? So if you've got, you know, 500 people get the actual drug and 500 people get the the pretend drug, the placebo, then we see, okay, of the 500 people who got the actual drug, did more of them get better compared to the placebo group? Because the only difference between those groups was one got the actual drug and one got a placebo, Right. It wasn't the case that one group thought they were getting a drug and the other group didn't think they were getting a drug. Or one group got a doctor consultation, the other group didn't get a doctor consultation. They all had the exact same treatment except one of them got the real drug and one didn't. Whereas in this scoliosis study, the Schroth method, what have we got? One group gets Schroth's 3D exercises in the clinic with a physiotherapist. You know, so they get arm around the shoulder, therapeutic alliance, a bit of manual therapy, you know, doctor's degree on the wall, the BMW keys on the bench, the, you know, warm bedside manner, the, you know, all of that stuff, right? Well, all of those things have an effect on <laughs> patients. Yeah, outcome. we know that. Yeah. The other group, what did they get? They got the Schroth method at home, right? So, like, what oh, was, I've got so, to do it myself. Were right, they even doing it? Who right. knows? <laughs> and so, what the, so this was back to front, right? Because in the drug <laughs> trial, what we try and hold constant is everything except the drug. Right. Yeah, yeah, one group gets the drug, one group doesn't, but everyone, everything else is identical. In this trial, they did the exact opposite. The only thing in common was the Schroth exercises, right? The thing we're trying to measure. Everything else was fucking different, mm. right? So the only thing they're measuring in this trial is the, the presence of a physiotherapist improved their outcomes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that actually 
that is the conclusion from this paper right. that the president <laughs> And the third group got nothing, right? So they got no exercise, no physiotherapist. They just got to stay at home doing nothing, right? And so what we know is doing something – is better, than, better doing than doing nothing. nothing. Oh, duh. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. like, just junk science, really poor experimental design. Right. Yeah, right. And that, that's typical. And, mm, and that's really interesting, too, because you see, you know, as, as you said, when we started reading, you know, like, okay, randomized control trial, tick, da da da, tick. And then you you got to be able to use your critical thinking to, to look at that and go, well, actually, no, this is, this is shitty. This well, well I, d I think you've, uh, you know, it helps to be able to use critical thinking and, and examine that literature and understand experimental design and stuff, but I don't think you have to because what you do instead of doing that is you don't cherry pick, you read systematic reviews, right? Uh, yeah, and if you read that, 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 that Cochrane review that I quoted earlier from 2015 or you read any mm. of those other reviews, what they said is there's no studies, mm. they're all crap, mm. we don't know mm. nothing about nothing. Like we mm. don't even know what we don't even know in this area. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so the cherry picking is to go, hey, here, I'm going to go and, but, but this, this, you know, Schroth method, it's, let's, like, that's for the win. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, again, not to particularly pick on the Schroth method, all the other ones are just as bad. Yeah. 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 When I, yeah. Please don't come after us, Schroth method advocates. <laughs> well, just get in line with everyone else's, I guess. Yeah. yeah. What we're saying. True. True. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, the other thing, you know, and this kind of because when we when we cover Scully uh, in in the dip, and everyone's, you know, we do the whole. I do the little. Okay, now grab your ACSM guidelines and turn to the back and to the, you know, where, like find where <laughs> find scoliosis and head to end. They're like, are you tricking us, Chloe? And I'm like, yeah, I am tricking you. It's not in the ACSM guidelines. Interesting, huh? No, because it's not considered. Well, number one, there's no it's evidence so one way or the other, but, but there's not even any evidence that it's a fucking problem. You know, this, it's, this, is, this is the thing. Like, it's like we are absolute, and, and this is what, you know, I want to get to this whole thing where we pathologize, and I'm going to kind of say normal here. Right. What do you think? Is this pathologizing normal? Is this pathologizing like like what percentage of people? Do we know what percentage of people have scoli? I've got scoli. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what the number is. Some little, some littles, you know, some littles, you know, it's being referred to as a functional scoli. So when I did when I did the old roll down test uh, in the PE, the PE, you know, quadrant, uh, and it was sort of you know tick, you don't have scoli, and then you know. Something came about at some point <laughs> during my adult life, and I've got a little, little, little S sort of in the thoracic. But you know, I'm pretty freaking normal. I would I'd, thought. I'd say in that regard, you're completely normal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I so okay. So right. Well. So, have we so, covered it all off then? Have we ticked it all off? Well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just getting going. I've, I've got one more I'd like to share if that's all right. Okay. Yeah. There was this really cool uh, – so that study I did, the Schroth one, I just poo-pooed. Um, in 2019, <laughs> there was a secondary it. analysis of that study. You know, so they basically got the original data and, yeah, and, right. and did a secondary analysis of it. And this was in BMC Musculoskeletal Disorders in 2019. This is called Schreiber et al., 
Uh, and I'll link to all these in the show notes. And so basically what they did was they they looked at the people who in the Schroth method, you know, got better. And, you know, in the in the intervention group, you know, some of them got, you know, a lot better and some of them got a little bit better and some of them didn't get better at all. Uh, but on average, the people in the clinic, in the physiotherapist group, you know, got more better on average than the other groups. And so what they tried to tease out in this secondary analysis was, okay, of the people in that physiotherapy group, like- what was the difference between the people who got extraordinarily better and the people who just got a little bit better and the people who didn't get better? You know, was it that the people who got a lot better, did they have a bigger improvement in in their scoliosis curve? So in other words, they became straighter, you know, at the end. Were the ones who got the biggest improvement the ones who straightened out the most? And what they found was no. Um, so uh, wow. minimum um, – so what they found, let me quote, was conclusions. Um, perceived improvement in back status is likely due to something other than the Cobb angle. Um, so patients undergoing Schroth treatment perceived improved status of their backs even if the Cobb angle did not improve. So, um, so basically, you know, there was some, whether it was just, you know, general effect of exercise because of course they're just they're not testing shroth against just general exercise right so if if i was to design this study what i would do would be okay one group gets shroth exercises in the clinic with a physiotherapist yes. the other group just gets general exercise you know push-ups sit-ups squats lunges yes. whatever for but with the, a physio with a physio well. in the same yeah. clinic for the same number of sessions the same number of hours uh-huh. everything the same you know mm-hmm. the only difference is which exercise intervention they get right yep. Um, and then you see, is there a difference between the two groups? Yeah. That would be a good study. Right? Would, yes, Raph. What do you reckon? Should mm. we? Yeah. No, not interested like, because I don't even know if scoliosis causes freaking pain anyway. <laughs> so, um, so, but what they found in this study was the people who got better it was unrelated to how much their curve changed, if at all, right? So okay. there was some must, must be some other more general factor. You know, maybe it was placebo, maybe it was just, you know, general exercise, endorphins, increased fitness, increased blood perfusion, whatever, right? Decreased pain sensitivity, you know, central nervous system, decreased systemic inflammation. There's so many possible contributors to that improved outcome. Yeah. Um, but the change in their Cobb angle, or in other words, how severe the scoliosis was, wasn't one of them. Wow. Hmm. That's huge. Like that's, that's you, uh, you know, that's, well, general ex- getting people moving, self-efficacy, you know, who knows? General well, I don't, freaking you know, exercise. General exercise. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, all right, so I don't know, where are we? So uh, does scoliosis cause pain? Maybe, possibly, a little bit, but in truth, it's a lot of question marks. And if if it does cause pain, it's not much. Um, and of course, you know that's variable between people. And you know, if yeah. you're listening to this and you've got scoliosis and you've got pain, you know, we're not here to invalidate your experience. Like, if you've got pain, you've got pain, exactly. right? But what exactly. we're what we're suggesting is your pain may not be related to your scoliosis. Right, because people without scoliosis also have pain, mm. right, and in just about the same, you know, prevalence. Uh, and the second thing is that is there, a, you know, what's the best magic method of specific exercises to do with someone with scoliosis? Should I stretch the short side, strengthen the tight side? Should we do lengthening exercises, strengthening exercises, three dimensional inhalations? I would say 
doesn't freaking matter. Stroth method. Just do fucking whatever. Just do something, right? And probably do it in a in clinic rather than sending them home to do it because it seems to work better in clinic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's going to satisfy people if you're out there or not, but um, that's all there is. That's all science has got for you. Is that is that fundamentally unsatisfying? Does it leave you hungry? Um, Raph, Lamar Gant, he really blew my mind when you introduced me to him. Can you tell the tell the listeners a little about him? Well, Lamar Gant was the first human to lift five times his body weight. Five times his body weight. So just say, uh, I think he was at, he competed at sixty kilos. He lifted three hundred kilos. <laughs> So five times his body weight, five fucking so are we times. Talking, are we talking lifting above his head? like No, deadlifting. So lifting from the floor to, okay. to waist height. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, try lifting five times your body weight sometimes. See how, see how you go. Uh, I'm, yeah, cool. I'm pretty happy not doing that. <laughs> you know, I'll start I mean, off with as body kg. As a point I think of, my PB is 80. <laughs> yeah, as a point of comparison, you know, most kind of, you know, recreationally fit adults could lift, you know, somewhere around one – 1.2 times their body weight. You know? How much are you? You're, what, what's your PB on, on your uh, deadlift? Double. I can do two times body weight. Yeah. I've been, I've been training uh, three days a week pretty seriously for like four years. That's uh, four I, years now. Yeah, and I can lift double body weight. Um, That's incredible. And this guy lifted fucking five times. And let me tell you, my progress, wow. my progress at this stage, like – you know, when you start anything, you progress really quickly, right? And then your yeah. progress slows down. And after four years, I'm making like, you know, six weeks later, I've improved by like, you know, 1%, something like that. You know, it's like it's, you know, I'm never, ever going to get to five times. If I, if I kept improving at the same rate, by the time I got to five times body weight, I'd be like 299 years old or something, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. Nice to have goals, right? <laughs> um, so, but five times body weight is just a freak of nature. Like that is just wow. Fr- and, and he had quite a significant scoliosis. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you know, if you just go and look him up, I'll, I'll stick a link to him in the show notes. Like you can just see it from a you know low quality JPEG. It's, it's, it's very yeah. visibly. Yeah, you just straight away you're like, oh, he's got a he's got a distinctive. Visually distinctive scully. Mm. Uh, there's another guy. His name escapes me. Who's world rec- we're in the world record contention right now in powerlifting? Who's got just like a real severe, even more severe than Lamar Gant um, scoliosis? Okay. I linked him as well. There you go. Mm. And and who was the guy in that study? He was a that we talked about the earlier. Wrestler, one yeah. of the story, the wrestler. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Usain Bolt, fastest guy in the world. Uh, you know, and you're always going to have the, the the naysayers that say, but, oh, how fast could he have been if he didn't have the scoliosis? Or how much could he, could he have lifted if he didn't have the scoli? Like, you mm. do hear that counter argument, um, but, like, come on, come on. Yeah, I guess, I guess you know, I, I feel like that's a bit of a straw man because we're not saying that he lifted that much because he had a scoliosis or that that Usain Bolt can run fast because he has a scholar. What yes. I guess we're saying is it doesn't fucking matter. It's irrelevant. You know, it's, yes. it's not, it's not, it's not relevant. Yes. Excellent. So Ralph, I'd like to conclude then by saying, so what is, okay. And I think this is really, really relevant. And I think this sings to what Pilates instructors are concerned about. 
and passionate about, well, what is best practice? So if you've got a client that comes in and says, you know, and, and hey, I've had this happen to me. You're like, oh, is there anything I need to know body-wise? And the hand goes up, yeah, I've got scoliosis. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, like literally, like we're just going to get you moving. But we do have clients that definitely, I, you know, it is part of how they identify um, and it has been pathologized for them for whatever reason throughout their life, et cetera. So when we're thinking about, you know, all these, the Pilates instructors that are going off continually seeking these additional continued education points to do, you know, I've got, I've got to do this specific scholarly course. I've got to do this, you know, that shows me how to wrap up a towel and, you know, put it on the, you know, one of the parts of the, you know what I'm saying? Like really this stuff is, you know, when we're talking about, you know, crack for Pilates instructors, this can be one of those topics, right? So what is, current best practice? Uh, well, I would say, you know, based on the literature that we've we've talked about today, the current best practice is to, uh, number one, I would never bring up scoliosis with somebody um, unless they did. Uh, yep. So just Agreed. don't talk about it. Don't, it's not a thing. Um, and if someone bends over and they're a bit crooked, just like look away. Just like if it offends you, exactly. you know, just, just ignore it. It's not a thing. You know, it's like if someone bends over and you can see the top of their undies or something. It's like just don't, don't, don't mention it. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. Like <laughs> um, uh, and secondly, uh, if if they mention it, you know, if the client comes to you and says, "Oh, I'm really worried. I've got a scoliosis," just reassure them. You know, reassure them you you're perfectly fine and safe in this class. I will look after you. It's not something you need to worry about. You know, and then from that moment on, just don't mention it. Just treat them like a normal person. Walk past every now and then. Give them a high five. Tell them they're doing awesome. Exactly. And like, I, I couldn't agree more, Raf. And I, I think to um, a class I was teaching and we we're doing some sort of, some sort of swan where you're on the long box, hands are on the footbar. Yeah. You know, lifting into some extension. And uh, I had, a, you know, one of the clients was in a large group setting. One of my clients was new and I was kind of coaxing her into a little more extension. And she turned and looked at me and she goes, can't, <laughs> got scully, my spine doesn't bend that way. And I was like, hey, yeah, you're doing awesome. And you know, reassured and off I went and that was the thing too like I hadn't noticed good you know there's no reason to notice but what it is also good to notice they just might not you know that what what their iteration of that movement may look different to someone else's and that's totally normal yeah um yeah so really normalizing the experience yeah and they're you know they're they're, you know, don't tell them to stand up straight or pull their shoulder no, back or anything. No, like, no, no, if you, no. If you kind of, you know, got a sideways no. bend of your spine and your one shoulder's forward and down or whatever, it's like that's their normal. You know, yeah. don't correct it. It's it's already correct. You know, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll be incorrecting it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you what, the times that I felt shit about myself has been when I've had a teacher carry on about the one shoulder that's higher than the other or the you know the this the that just like that's not our job guys it's not our job <laughs> our job is to reassure get people moving fearlessly you know and have a good time yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so and i would just what exercise do you give them just regular old exercise just whatever you're giving everyone exercise. else just give them that you know if they were just a regular person without scoliosis without this you know mm. terrible affliction just 
Give him the same odd exercise. Yeah, and by you know? terrible affliction, he said air that quotes, in air quotes. Air quotes. Air quotes. You've got to be – got to be. sometimes it comes across really – Maybe <laughs> we need a button, a button on the, <laughs> the desk that's got air quote music on it or something. I feel like we do. We do. Just want to make sure that was air quotes, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome yeah. chat, Ralph. Good chat. Yeah. Really great. And and you guys, like, again, anytime you feel like we're just scratching the surface and you need us to go deeper on something, you just shoot us off a message. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're happy to happy to chat it, chat it through. I love these discussions, Raph, because every single time I talk to you, I take something else away from it as well. Like, I learn something and I just – I really love that. Yeah, it's it's I enjoy them too because well you know I, I've, it's fun talking and um, with you and um, about this stuff and also I learn stuff because like you know sometimes I do a bit of like uh, refreshing you know like review beforehand or sometimes like right today I've just been sitting in front of my all my research papers on my desktop computer here and you know reading them as we go so that's kind of refreshed my memory a bit on this yeah. so. You know, so this it's is really all, awesome. it's all fun. And, and I hope that it's useful for people out there. And I hope that if, you know, you, you've listened to this and maybe you're interested to read some of the studies in the show notes, uh, that it, it enables you to feel less anxious, yeah. uh, you know, less, less worried about working with people with scoliosis and that you can adopt a much more laissez-faire attitude to working with people with scoliosis, just like you would with people with red hair, for example, you know, like just- or black hair or blonde hair or- Yeah. Yeah. People with- Any colour. Because, <laughs> like, because people's hair colour is totally and utterly irrelevant to yeah. which exercise you give them and pretty much so is scoliosis. So, yeah, um, yeah I would say I, I, hope you, I hope this enables you to feel a lot more relaxed about the whole thing yeah. and also to, to kind of hopefully, you know, calibrate your bullshit meter a bit better so that, you know, when you yeah. hear somebody, you know, now that we know, well, now that you know that we don't even know if scoliosis is related to back pain, right, and we sure as shit don't know what the best exercise, you know, we don't even know if exercise makes any difference to anything in relation to scoliosis. And we sure as shit don't know what sort of exercise we should be giving mm. people with scoliosis. So if anybody tells you that they've got their patented special mm-hmm. method for exercise for scoliosis, well, you know, it's just made up. It's just a fairy tale. They just it's, made it's it It's bullshit, up. guys. Turn yeah. around, run the other way and spend your hard-earned money somewhere else. And I think Raf and I, sort of talked about the bullshit meter too when we talked about um, the prenatal elephants issue because we see a lot of these specialised, you know, yeah. prenatal prenatal programs as well. Same thing, guys, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there is no I, – I think, you know, there is no more. Like, you know, like there's more to know about scoliosis, but humanity doesn't mm-hmm. know it yet. And mm-hmm. so there's not more knowledge – that's available that you could learn about this, you know, like you could, you know, read all about the Schroth method, but you'd be none the wiser because the Schroth method hasn't been shown to work, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like you would be learning about something that's not been shown mm-hmm. to actually have any value. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and really you could be l- learning about stuff that's going to, pathologize something for someone yeah. and actually feed into nocebo and feed into, you know, fear around movement, which mm. seriously is the exact opposite to what we should be doing. 
Um, so, yeah, I hope that this talk has empowered you because I am very, I very passionately believe that empowered instructors, empowered teachers empower their clients. Mm, good place to leave it. Yeah. Good Thanks, chat. Ralph. Really good. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing, and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.